this morning we're going to be doing a, a lesson on Proverbs 18:17. We've done a few of these in the past, and they're a little bit different, so they require a little bit of explanation. Proverbs 18:17 is a great verse. It says that the first to present his case seems right until another comes forward to examine him. It's a great verse for parents trying to figure out which one of our kids is actually telling the truth and which ones are lying. Um, it's a, a great verse for um, any, anything in life. Uh, we need to question it and test it by Scripture, by the Bible, to figure out if what we're actually hearing is God's honest truth or if it's somebody else taking and twisting and manipulating truth. And we need to employ that same kind of reasoning when we're dealing with uh, theological matters, when we're dealing with people who are using the Bible. People can take the Bible and they can twist that and malign that. And so we need to test that uh, by Scripture. So that's what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to have um, a presentation that is not biblical, that is taking and, and twisting the Bible. It's a different perspective on uh, God's Word. Uh, an incorrect perspective, and then it's going to be refuted with uh, hopefully more biblical perspective on the Bible. So we're going to jump into that. Let's go ahead and open up in a word of prayer. God, we do thank you for your truth, that your word is truth, that you are an eternal God who, who doesn't change, that you are God from everlasting to everlasting, and that we can put our hope and our faith in you and your revealed word. We thank you for uh, your Holy Spirit who has given us your word and, and guided and preserved your word for us and for the, the faithful men and women who have uh, come before us in, in taking and, and preserving and, and handing down your word faithfully to us. We pray that you would help us to be faithful, that we would be diligent, that we would be wise and discerning when we're approaching your word and that you would give us uh, an answer, that we would have an answer for the hope that is within us and that we would be able to better defend your word and that, that hope and the truth that lies within us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. I want to talk to you guys about uh, something that's important to me, something that I think many Christians have gotten wrong over the years and that many Christians practice incorrectly. I do recognize you guys as Christians. I want to thank you for letting me be here, uh, you fellow nice Christians. Uh, but I want to talk to you guys about Christmas and the celebration of Christmas. Now, I'm sure that you know that the Bible never speaks about Christmas. It never talks about, never uses the word Christmas. It additionally never gives a specific date on Christmas, on when Christ's birth was. And it certainly wasn't in the midst of winter. It definitely wasn't on December 25th. Remember that um, there was a, a decree for a census to to be taken. That's why Joseph and Mary were on this trip to, to Bethlehem. That decree would never come down in the, the middle of winter. That would be utter foolishness. And additionally, being a, a biblical Christian, knowing that you guys are biblical Christians, I want to encourage you guys to do what your Bible says to do and to follow how your Bible says to follow. The Bible never in one area directs us to, to celebrate Christmas. We never see Jesus celebrating Christmas as a festival or a holiday. We never see his disciples celebrating the birth of Christ. You would think that we would see that in Scripture. That's how we come to an understanding of communion, of the Lord's table, of baptism, because we see Jesus commanding these things. We see his disciples practicing these things. We see the New Testament church practicing these things. The New Testament church never practiced 
uh, a celebration of Christmas. And if anything, we see Jesus celebrating the, the feasts that are outlined in the Old Testament. In Leviticus 23, we see Jesus keeping those feasts and those festivals that are ordained by God. You can see that in Luke 22 and in John 7, verse 10, that Jesus kept those feasts, but he never observed Christmas. The fact that, um, in fact, the, the origins of Christmas are, are quite pagan. They're not Christian at all. But we can trace those back, and we, we have traced those back historically uh, to the Greeks, and they celebrated a, a festival in honor of Bacchus. And later the Romans praised their god, Saturnalia. And these slowly developed into a, a practice that um, over time and over centuries, Christians adopted and, and started to make their own. Um, and these uh, initial celebrations of Bacchus and, and Saturnalia, they were both wildly immoral celebrations that were filled with all kinds of orgies and uh, pagan sacrifices, all kinds of immorality. Definitely not something that a Christian would want to imitate, right? And then it went on from there, and Rome later incorporated a festival to the sun god and established that date for that festival as December 25th. And it was called the Dies Natalis Solis Invictus, which means the birthday of the unconquered sun. Now, as good, holy Christians who want to reflect God, who want to honor God, certainly you guys would want to align yourself with that kind of paganism, I'm sure. Um, this is where, where many Christi Christmas traditions are, are derived from, from these Roman teachings and these Roman celebrations of these Roman gods, uh, different practices even within Christmas, like the Christmas tree can be traced back to these Roman practices, like the giving of gifts. It all comes back to how these Romans celebrated these pagan gods. Let me just read to you from, from Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 3 and 4 where God says to his people Israel, you shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and burn their ashram with fire. And you shall cut down the engraved images of their gods and obliterate their name from that place. You shall not act like this toward the Lord your God. Israel was told to stay away from the pagan practices, to completely deny them, even to go in and, and smash them. And as Christians, again, who want to honor God, we should do the same with these old pagan traditions that elevate these pagan gods above the one true God, above Yahweh. Not only is this unbiblical, not only is it straight from paganism, but in its current form, it's an abomination as well. Uh, you know, as well as I do, that Christmas is focused so much on this person of Santa Claus, right? This lie that parents tell their children. And we're told flat out in, in scripture, thou shalt not lie, right? And a lie is a lie. I don't care if it's a, a nice lie, if it's a fanciful lie, if it's a lie that comes with gifts and presents. We're told not to lie to our kids. And if we're going to be true to, to scripture, if we're going to honor our God, we need to respect that and obey that and not lie to our kids. It's become incredibly over-commercialized. It's just a a way to make money, right? It's a way to keep people impoverished. It's a way to press down guilt upon low-income parents to lift up and elevate these expectations, to set unrealistic, unrealistic expectations that uh, people need to get gifts and give gifts to their kids. Uh, any way that you look at Christmas, I think that it is incredibly unchristian. And 
I disagree with the teaching that, that Christmas can be redeemed and it can be used in some kind of Christian way. Again, going back to Deuteronomy 12, God didn't tell his people, well, just take the, those ashram and, and worship them in a way that's honoring to me. That you should look at these other pagan idols and you should figure out and, and manipulate some way to make them honoring to, to me. He says, no, get away with them. Destroy them altogether. So we shouldn't try to redeem Christmas and make it Christian. We should reject it outright. Uh, there's no reason for a Christian to embrace a, a pagan practice. It is irredeemable. And even if it were, Christians shouldn't reserve some kind of special worship for one day out of the year. We're to serve the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength, every day, not just one day. It shouldn't be one day that we set aside as, as different or special. And we definitely shouldn't relegate our attention to the incarnation on just one day. That's something that Christians should be focusing on every single day of the year, not just on December 25th. Likewise, uh, our acknowledgement of the resurrection, it shouldn't be relegated to one day and definitely not to a day that's dedicated to the goddess Ishtar. Uh, we need to be recognizing God in in all of who he is, in his incarnation, in his resurrection, every day of the year. And when it comes to choosing between man's traditions and following after God's clear command not to follow after pagan gods, it's quite clear, at least to me, that we need to obey God rather than man. And I just want to, again, thank you for letting me come and encourage you guys to, to do the same, to follow God by not observing Christmas. <laughs> Okay, please open your Bibles with me to Romans 14, Romans chapter 14. You're welcome for letting you come, but never again. <laughs> How many of you are familiar with that goddess Ishtar anyway, huh? Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Well, let's look at what Scripture has to say. Romans 14, one of the most important chapters in the Bible, Romans 14. And when I say one of the most important, that's, of course, my own estimation. <laughs> but for the church, oh man, this is so critical. Romans 14, verse 1, it says, Now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Now, that word opinions is very interesting. If you're using a King James or New King James, yours might say doubtful things, passing judgment on doubtful things. Uh, that's the same idea, opinions and doubtful things. Opinions are definable, okay? We, we can't look at this verse and say, well, I have no idea what, what God calls my opinion or not, okay? I just have no idea. We have an idea. Here's how you can define an opinion, all right? The first way is Scripture says you are free to determine on your own about this issue. And there are items like that in Scripture. We're about to go through this chapter a little bit, and you'll see that meat and vegetarianism comes up. Eating meat... Or being a vegetarian comes up. And you know what God says? You're free to develop your own opinion on that matter. So that makes it an opinion. As scripture has explicitly said, you're free. The second way that we can define what an opinion is, is that scripture is silent on the matter. If scripture is silent on something, then it's left to opinion. Now this would apply to something like, can you listen to music via CD 
in your car? <laughs> well, Scripture isn't going to give you the exact answer that you might want to a question like that. But we recognize that as long as you're, whatever you're doing, you're doing it to the glory of God and you're not going against anything we're explicitly told to do in Scripture, you are free. You are free to develop an opinion on that matter. And here it says that in the church, we are to accept one another, but never for the purpose of passing judgment on opinions. No judgment. When it comes to these doctrines or topics, however you want to define it, that are opinions, we are not allowed as Christians to look at each other and say, you are wrong. Because by definition, opinions can't be wrong by Scripture's definition. You're free to do or you're free not to do. All right? That is what an opinion is according to Scripture. Now, interestingly enough, go down to verse 5 with me and look at this example that Paul uses when it comes to opinions. He says, One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. The days that you recognize as holidays or special in any way, you are to be fully convinced in your own mind. Paul is not saying uh, you're not allowed to do that. He's saying you're free to do it or not to do it. That's a matter of opinion. Let's keep reading. Verse 6, he who observes the day makes a day special. Well, he does that for the Lord. He who eats, he does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not, for the Lord he does not eat and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. You see what Paul leaves this up to? It's you doing it for the Lord. Whether you observe a day or not, you're doing it for the Lord. Now, whether you're using a paper Bible or you're using a Bible on a phone, it's a matter of opinion. And you do it for the Lord. And you serve the Lord with that freedom. One more passage I want to show you. Turn forward in your New Testament to Colossians. To the book of Colossians. Turn forward just a little ways. To Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Colossians chapter 2, after discussing how Jesus has set us free from the elemental spirits of the world, how Jesus has set us free from the demonic powers because he's triumphed over them in his death, it says, okay, Christian, here's how you can live. Colossians 2, 16. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So not only are we told don't judge one another in matters of opinion, we're told here, don't let anybody judge you in matters of opinion. You, with your faith, celebrating days as you do, observing days as you may, you are to say to someone who may pass judgment on you on something that is purely a matter of opinion, you are to say, no. <laughs> you are not my judge. 
I stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I don't need another judge. In matters of opinion, I stand before Jesus Christ alone. Well, let me just walk through briefly, and then we'll leave time for questions. Uh, just his three main points, the three main points that he made. First was that it's the wrong date. We celebrate Christmas on the wrong date. That's a very, very, very dumb argument. You could move it to December 26th. You could move it to January 25th, whatever it is, and it doesn't really matter. That's not germane to the celebration, is it? Uh, that's, not, that's not really what it's about. We know it's not the right date. We don't pretend like it is. He says, uh, we have no positive instruction in the Bible. There's nowhere in the Bible where we are positively instructed to celebrate this. Well, you're not positively instructed to be sitting here in this particular chair this morning. You could have chosen another chair. You could have chosen another church. You're not positively instructed to wear those particular clothes today. There are all kinds of things you're not positively instructed to do, but God leaves up to matter of opinion and personal conviction. But the strongest point, the point that he spent the most time on, was the matter of origin, and uh, that it has pagan origins. And this is the one that's probably most common, that you'll hear the most, is that Christmas, celebrating Christmas has its roots in uh, wicked practices. Well, there's a, there are a few things going on. One is there's a denial of the evolution of symbols in our culture. There are things that we can say and do in our culture that mean totally different things than they did even just 20 years ago, right? If you're keeping up with the lingo of the kids, I don't. Uh, I've, I've embraced fatherhood. I've moved on from childhood. And they say all kinds of things. When I see like YouTube videos and stuff, they'll say things that I was like, I don't know what that word means. Um, I know what it used to mean. I don't know what it means now. And so um, there's all kinds of evolution when it comes to cultural symbols and matters of opinion. And if the Bible doesn't speak directly to those symbols, well, they evolve, don't they? They evolve with the culture. And so perhaps for some, like a popular passage some will go to is in Jeremiah, where they were worshiping trees. There were people who were worshiping trees and say, that's why we shouldn't worship trees today. Well, okay, but there were people worshiping those trees back then. Are those people still around today? Are we joining in in the same type of practice that they're doing and would it be understood by anybody around us that we were perhaps worshiping a tree? Perhaps if you stood around and sang the song, Oh Christmas Tree, Oh Christmas Tree, it would be, seem a little idolatrous. <clears throat> but, but generally speaking, do you understand that symbols evolve in culture? And so to say um, that we are forever locked into every word that's used, every type of vocabulary, every type of symbol, to say that we're totally locked in in matters of opinion, throughout all ages of church history would really paralyze us because I'm sure that we engage in all sorts of things today that used to mean something even just a hundred years ago that don't mean that anymore. And then the other part of that point is there was idolatry by association. Well, if you're doing something that looks or smells anything like anything anybody's done in the past for idolatrous reasons, then you too are an idolater. Past paganism, you are directly linked to that past paganism. And then even current paganism, because Santa Claus, of course, is so popular today and everything's so marketed with Christmas. Well, that means that no Christian could ever celebrate Christmas because you would be linked directly to that paganism. That is, that's a really bad argument, and I'll tell you why. Consider another example. This building we're meeting in today. How many church buildings were there in the first century? How many church buildings? Well, for real churches, there were zero, but there were all sorts of houses of God, weren't there, for all kinds of temples. 
And you could make the argument come the 4th century, 5th century, as Christian buildings began to be constructed. Christians don't meet in buildings. They meet in houses. Look at the Bible. They meet in houses. And if you're building a, a worship center, well, it's a pagan temple. You're associated directly with that paganism. Well, you don't see too many Jehovah's Witnesses making that argument when they argue against Christmas, do you? Because they have their own kingdom halls, their own buildings. In fact, I don't think the majority of people who make that kind of argument against Christmas would say the same thing about buildings. But it's the same line of reasoning, isn't it? It's the same flow of thought. Well, because hundreds of years earlier, this building meant this. That means we can't have a building today. Well, that's just not how Scripture presents the matter. And my uh, final and perhaps strongest piece of evidence as to why we as Christians can celebrate Christians today is because uh, a few days ago, I helped the Hardings moved in, move in, and they had so many boxes full of Christmas decorations. And I know they're real Christians, so we're good. Okay? We're covered. They have a lot. I think they had two Christmas trees. Maybe more. Okay. <laughs> there are several Christmas trees, and they're the real deal. So, okay, we're good. So anyway, uh, questions uh, or comments on the whole... It's always sinful for any Christian ever to celebrate Christmas. Josh. So our conclusion is it's a matter of opinion. Yes. So I, and I'm new to this, but I have a question. So my question is more this exercise then would seem to say that one who disagrees with my opinion is a heretic. Yeah, okay. How, Let, would, we, how, how would we deal with that? So let's clarify on so that. There's a difference of opinion, yeah. Yeah. but I would have a hard time calling him a Yep. Thank you. <laughs> well, okay, there, there are two things I want to say. Um, first of all, in the uh, initial back and forth that we did, that was on a matter of truth and heresy. Okay, if you deny the certainty of God's knowledge about future events, denying his omniscience, that's heresy. You cannot deny God's omniscience and say you're, you're a, a biblical Christian. Now, what we've done, though, is transition to this topic of Christmas, which has moved us, if you're familiar with my chart, which most of you are, you've got your three columns, we've moved into the matter of opinion. And you are free to do something or free not to do something. Go back with me to Romans 14, if you still got your Bible handy. The last verse of that chapter, Romans 14, 23. Romans 14, 23 is critical to the whole conversation. Whereas Paul concludes his talking about not just meat and holidays, he also talks about wine in verse 21. He ends all of that in verse 23 by saying, He who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and whatever is not from faith is sin. So, uh, for the Christian who says to people, um, look, you, you cannot celebrate Christmas or that would be sin for you. Well, that person is now moving into the realm of, of heresy because you're treating an opinion as though it is a revealed fact for all Christians everywhere. For the Christian who says, you must celebrate Christmas, they're doing the same thing. They've also moved something that's an opinion to make it foundational, to make it primary. That's not how Scripture treats that subject, is it? So where's the balance? The balance is here. You're free to do it or free not to do it. If you can do it from faith. All right? If you have a personal conviction about, I just can't get there, I, you know, it seems, it seems wrong for me, well, then it probably is wrong for you. But if you say, because it's wrong for me, it's wrong for everybody, now you've become 
a heretic. You've become someone who's now sinning in the way that he's judging and treating his brother. Lizzie. So how do you deal with somebody that you can say is like brainwashed? Because <laughs> <laughs> is that the technical term? Okay, all right, yeah, just keep going. So I remember that there was, you know, there was an Water example. Was a bad word. Oh, okay, yeah. all right, all right. And it's like that person grows up to thinking, okay, that's a bad word. I'm yeah, say. right, I'm and with so you. So how do you disconnect from, like, what you yeah. grew up to being a Yep. Well, our upbringing is so influential, isn't it, in so many ways. Um, I mean, we have genes that we've inherited, and we have all kinds of practices and ways of thinking that we've inherited. And God will work in those. And through those. There are so many things in the, in the Christian life that someone becomes a Christian and brings in like traditions and just interesting ways of thinking that God will just use. If they're matters of opinion, if these are not sin issues, okay, it's not like someone, well, I grew up killing my neighbor anytime you made me mad. Okay, well, you got to change that, all right? But if it's something like I grew up with, you know, certain clothing or certain music or certain whatever, God will still work through those with the Christian. It's a matter of personal conviction, perhaps, for a time. In the first year of being a Christian, you know, I couldn't watch any movie that was rated over G or whatever. You know, there are all kinds of things like that. But that person should not be content with just inheriting something from someone else. That person should always be content to do two things. One is to examine what the Scripture says. That's what's most important. And secondly, to see how God's going to personally convict you. That's the other thing. Because you can objectively look in Scripture and say, okay, you can drink. It clearly says, don't get drunk. It doesn't clearly say anything else. But I still can't. Maybe someone has that view. And that, that means that that person shouldn't do it. But that person will have a balanced view and say, but my brother or sister can. I just can't. And, and they do it to the Lord and I do it to the Lord. That's the balance that every Christian should aim for. Okay? What, what happens when people so often inherit these traditions and these ways of thinking is they elevate them to the level of Scripture without ever examining Scripture. That is wrong. That's very dangerous. Yeah? Oh, um, so I, was, I learned that people, um, Christians, that uh, they believe that they can't save the name of God. Is that an opinion? Obviously it is. Because, like, I learned that they don't say the vows of God. Hmm. Yeah, they'll write it out and it'll be G-D. Yeah. Yeah, that sort of thing. Um, and I questioned that, and I was like, is that your personal conviction? Yeah, so and, it, and there are a ton of issues like that where it's like, Ugh, is this an opinion or are they actually going too far? It depends on a couple of things. One, it depends on if they're enforcing that opinion on others, because this is certainly not something that Scripture clearly says. Don't use vows when writing the name of God. There's nowhere in Scripture. Um, if that person's going to force that on others, then that's clearly that person's in sin. Um, however, that person may be in worse shape, too. I mean, we'd have to do a, a Bible study on that because the Bible talks about people declaring his name and what names they'll use, what names they'll ascribe to God. And so not saying his name, not writing his name as he's revealed his name to us in Scripture, that seems very unwise, very foolish at, at a minimum. And so... Um, we're, we're commanded to bless the Lord with our lips. How do you do that if you can't say his name, right? Uh, Moses specifically asked, what name should I say? And he gave him a name. Right? There are certain practices that are associated with certain uh, 
groups or followings that tend to be heretical in other areas of life too. And yep. That's fine. Yeah, usually it's a red flag for there's more to come. Yeah. Jeremy, will you speak to the distinction between damnable heresy and yeah. false teaching? Yeah. Yeah. In one minute? Briefly, yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so there's an interesting conversation when it comes to the Trinity. I'll use this as an example. All right, there are some people who are, uh, uh-oh, Barney Fife's got his radio going. <laughs> there, are, there are some people who teach when it comes to the Godhead that Jesus Christ uh, is a, an outflow of, of God. He's a, essentially a creation of God. Is that heresy? Yes. Yeah, it, that's, that's heresy. Will you be allowed to go to heaven thinking Jesus is a creature? No, you won't, all right? That's a clear line in Scripture. But there are some people who say, yeah, God is Trinity, eternally existed in, in Trinity, and uh, he was, um, he, but he, he's not all three persons at the same time. This is called modalism. Father, Son, and Spirit are modes of God's being. At times he relates to us as Father, at times he relates to us as Son, and at times he relates to us as Spirit. This teaching believes that Father, Son, and Spirit are totally, completely God, 100% God. They just deny the coexistence element of the three persons. Is that a damnable heresy? Ugh. Uh, it's close, right? I mean, we can say that. And what, what side of the line does it fall on? Uh, it's wrong. Will you go to hell? Losing your salvation. You've met some believers who believe you can lose your salvation. They get the gospel right in that this is what you must believe to be saved, but then they believe you can lose it. The fact that they believe they can lose it, does that mean they never had it? Depends on why they believe they can Right. There are all kinds of reasons all the time in all these issues, right, of why. But those are tough issues. And so we need to be careful um, just in the way we talk about other Christians in particular, whether they're hell-bound blasphemers and heretics or just misguided Christians. And that's a very, very difficult conversation to have. And it's above our pay grade. So you've got to be careful with the, with the words you use. You can always address the teaching based on the Word of God, but to talk about the person, you've got to be real careful. Because there's only one who exalts and one who condemns, and that's God alone, right? So you've got to be real careful. Okay, I'm going to pray before we get any other questions. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for this time, and we ask that you would bless the rest of the service, that we'd be edified in truth in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.